Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you folks today as we're journeying further into the Daniel Fast. Uh, good to be able to be with each of you. I know the Lord's pleased uh, when we can all get together and seek him. Uh, as a church family. So before we do anything, let's take a moment, let's stretch. Uh, that's for all of our benefit to uh, get the juices flowing a little bit or raise your hands to worship, whichever way. And uh, no better thing to do than let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. Father, we just thank you for the privilege of coming to you today as sons and daughters of you. And we thank you for this book. The Bible. Uh, and we know, Lord, it's it's not a dead letter. It's alive when your spirit comes upon it. So, Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would come and make these words living and alive in our hearts and our spirits. I pray for each of us, Lord, that you would underline specifically those parts of the chapter that you want to speak to us personally. So, Lord, we just thank you. We come to meet you in your word, and we thank you for it. Amen. Amen. Okay, we are in Acts 10, so let's jump in. It's a longer chapter. Now, there was a certain man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man, one who feared God with all his household, and he gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come into him. And he said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze upon him and being much alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He's staying with a certain tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who was speaking to him had departed, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were in constant attendance upon him. And after he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. On the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went on the mountain, I mean, on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. He became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance and he beheld the sky opened up. And a certain object, like a great sheet coming down, towered uh, by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. And a voice came to Peter, arise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. And again, a voice came to him a second time. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. This happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision which he had seen might be, behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius 
having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate. And going out, they were asking whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was reflecting on the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. But arise, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. And Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for which you have come? And they said, Cornelius, a centurious, a righteous, and a God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. And so he invited them in and he gave them lodging. On the next day, he arose and went away with them. And some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. On the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them, and he called together his relatives and his close friends. When it came about that Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet, and worshipped him. But Peter raised him up, saying, Stand up, I too am just a man. And as he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That's why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for. And so I asked, for what reason you sent me? And said, four days ago to this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He's staying at the house of Simon the tanner by the sea. And so I said to you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all here present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. And opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The words which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting with Galilee after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all these things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, and they also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he should become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God that is, to us, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. And all the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. 
Kenny. And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to stay for a few days. Wow, that's a long chapter. Okay, um, I, let me just give you a snapshot overview of the chapter. And then there's three points I really want to drive home that I think that really hit me. And I think they'll, they'll hit you as well. So the overview is this. God sovereignly gives a vision to a man by the name of Cornelius. He's a Roman soldier. And he's in Caesarea. And in that vision, an angel speaks to him uh, and basically uh, tells him, hey, I want you to send for a man uh, called Peter. Bring him here and let him talk to you and your friends. Meanwhile, at that same point, Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, he's up on a rooftop uh, and he's in Joppa, uh, another city totally in a different area. He's up there and God gives him a vision of a sheet coming down with all kinds of animals and birds in it. And as Peter's pondering the vision, God says to him basically through the vision, hey, Peter, I want you to know that I'm accepting Gentiles as well as Jews into my kingdom. After that, uh, people come to the door. Peter then leaves, goes to Caesarea. And what's interesting, when he comes to Cornelius, uh, and greets him, um, he basically says, hey, why did you ask me to come here, Cornelius? And this is what he says. Here's an open door. Boy, for a preacher, this is great. Uh, we're all here to hear all that you have been commanded by God to speak. So Peter has the floor and he can say whatever he wants. So that's kind of like this setting. But the three things I'd like us to look at as I look at the story is number one, God wants to speak to us. God wants to speak to everybody personally on this screen, and he does it in many ways. Second point I'd like us to look at is what does the ministry of Jesus look like? And thirdly, what indeed is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I think these three things are very important, uh, and I think they apply to you and I where we live right here in 2023. So first, let's look at the idea that God speaks. The Bible is very clear, right from the book of Genesis all the way to the end to the book of Revelation. God is a God who wants to communicate with the creatures that he created. God wants to communicate to each one of us. That's really important. God's not lost his voice over the centuries. He wants you to be able to discern his voice. So I'd like to give you some ways specifically that God does it. He does the speaking in numerous kind of ways. Uh, three of them in the beginning are extremely dramatic. And by the way, they're very rare. The first is uh, God can speak to us by a vision, by a vision. So basically, uh, Cornelius, we're told in the story, has a vision. And we know uh, it's basically a vision when he's awake. It's 3 p.m. He's not sleeping. He has this vision uh, of an angel and an angel speaking to him. He has a vision, by the way, also we're told at that point that Peter has a vision. His vision's at noon. So these folks are not sleeping. They actually have a vision. And I think uh, we need to realize 
that a vision uh, is not something seen with the physical eyes. It's something seen with your spiritual eyes. And it's a, a, it's a picture uh, at, at the point, too, we're almost told, uh, like Peter, like, like it's a trance. It's like you're here, but you're not here. Uh, I believe the same thing happened with John, the disciple in the book of Revelation. He has a vision. He's here physically, but he's somewhere else in the spiritual realm. So uh, we know that God gives visions. Uh, we know in the Old Testament, many of the prophets are given pictures, spiritual pictures, and given them in the spirit. Uh, I'd say visions are very, very rare. Um, I can only say in my life of 73 years, I think I've had only one vision, what I would call an actual vision here. A second way God speaks and not just by visions, but in actuality. Uh, we know that God speaks through angels, okay? There are literally angels. I've never seen one, but the Bible is very clear there are angels. In this case, uh, Cornelius actually sees an angel in a vision. Uh, but angels are actual beings. They're messengers of God. And uh, it's interesting. Uh, some people have actually seen an angel, okay? Uh, we know in the Bible uh, that basically uh, God spoke to different people through an angel. If you look at Luke chapter one, an angel speaks to Zechariah, actually encounters him. Uh, we also see that an angel speaks uh, to Mary uh, in the story. Uh, so God speaks many times directly uh, in the burning bush. God spoke to Moses. I mean, it was a little with his eyeballs. He could see a burning bush. Uh, interesting story. In Numbers 22, God speaks to Balaam, a foreigner, through a donkey. Catch that. If you never have read that story, Numbers 22, a donkey is used by God to communicate a message to Balaam. So there are no ends on how God speaks. He can speak any way he chooses. But again, so far we've seen he can speak by a vision. He can speak by an actual encounter of an angel. He also speaks in dreams. In Matthew 1, uh, 19, we're told that God spoke uh, to Joseph. Listen to this. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, and not wanting to disgrace Mary, desired to put her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him where? In a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. What's really interesting, check it out in Matthew 2, and I think I may have mentioned this in one of the other soaps, in Matthew 2, four times. God speaks to Joseph in a dream, okay? So God speaks through visions. God can speak through an angel. Uh, God can speak through dreams. Uh, and the, I think for a dream, it has to be fairly specific. I mean, some of the dreams are rather different. Uh, periodically, maybe that's happened for me. But that, again, I think visions, seeing angels, and dreams are fairly rare for sure. 
The primary way I think God speaks is through the Holy Spirit. Uh, if you go back to Acts 10, and you look at verse 19, and Peter's doing his thing with the vision. And while Peter was reflecting on the vision, here it is. The spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. How did Peter hear God? Through the Holy Spirit. So I'd like us to explore a little bit. Uh, you might say, uh, well, okay, that's great, Pastor John. God spoke through the Holy Spirit. But I mean, what's that look like? What's that feel like? How do I know when the Holy Spirit is trying to get through to me? So I think there's a number of ways the Holy Spirit speaks. The primary way the Holy Spirit speaks is right here, folks, through the book. Okay? Primary way. If you want to hear God's voice, read the Word of God more and more and more and more. The more you read the Word of God, you're actually hearing God speaking, because he's the one that wrote the book. So when you're reading these words, at one point, he spoke them to the humans that he used to record these books in the Bible. It says here in 2 Peter 1, verse 21, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. That's how the Holy Spirit gets through to us, through this Bible. He inspired this book. And as we read this book, and as we pray before we read the book, because that's probably the most important thing, go to the author and say, Holy Spirit, open these words. Help me understand this book that you inspired many years ago. So first, if you want to hear the Holy Spirit, uh, definitely read the word of God. It will keep you on the right path. There are stories um, of people. Uh, one man said, you know, I believe God's leading me to lead my life and have an affair because this other person is more important to me. And he claimed that it's God speaking. And you can say, absolutely, you're not hearing God. You're hearing some false voice, because in the word of God, God would never say that. Uh, as we're getting around income tax time, maybe a thought comes to your mind, well, you know what? It's not bad just to cheat a little bit. You know, just, I'm not gonna do, but just let me cheat just a little here and there. Nobody's gonna know, God doesn't care. If you know the word of God, you're going to know, no, 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 sorry, that's not right. So the word of God basically probably, I would say, gives us at least 90%, 90% of what you need to know to hear God's voice. Uh, it's not going to tell you who to marry necessarily. It's not going to tell you where to go to college, but it will give you a basic framework to know what's of God and what is not of God. So the Holy Spirit speaks first through the word of God. I think the Holy Spirit speaks through our conscience. Acts 23, 1, Paul says this, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God. God speaks through our conscience. I'm sure every one of us on the screen, everybody, no exception, have all lost our temper at some point and have lost our temper at some one. The Holy Spirit, when we lose our temper, is going to begin to convict us and say, hey, you know what? You need to go back to that person and you need to say you're sorry. The Holy Spirit just lets you know that's not a good thing to do. I know people uh, who have gossiped and as they were gossiping, the Holy Spirit, boom, got them and said, stop it. Didn't hear an actual voice with their ears, but inside they heard a voice saying, that's wrong. Stop it. 
repent of that. So God speaks through the word. He speaks through your conscience. This is right. This is wrong. Uh, God also speaks, I believe, through common sense. God gave you a brain. For instance, if it's cold outside, wear a coat. Okay? Uh, it's interesting. You know, sometimes things are not super deep or profound. If it's cold, wear a coat. Yes. Oh, God, do you want me to wear a coat? Use your common sense. Um, it's not good to go in debt. I think we know that in the long run. We don't need a great big uh, explanation. So common sense, God speaks to us through that. Uh, God also speaks to us through circumstances. I know people uh, that have lost a job. They're applying for another job. They've applied to four different jobs. They have no clue which is the right one. And they basically say, God, I don't know what's right. So they prayed this prayer. Lord, I pray you would open the door circumstantially through the one you want me to go to and shut the other three. And I've heard people literally that have prayed that prayer sincerely. And job number one is turned down. Job number two is he's not accepted or she's not accepted. Number three. But number four, the door opens. God shut three, he opened one. So many times God will speak through circumstances if we ask him to, when we can't discern clearly what he's up to. Another way God speaks is through a sense of peace in your heart. In Colossians 3.15, it says, let the peace of God rule in your heart. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. Uh, in Acts chapter 16, uh, Paul and Timothy are trying to go somewhere and preach. And it's interesting, Acts chapter 16, verse 6, it says this. And they passed through the Phyrician and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word of God in Asia. When they had come to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of God did not permit them. So I would say God speaks by what I would call checking you. You're moving in a direction and your peace is disturbed. It just, it doesn't feel right. Something feels awkward. It feels off. And that's God with a little red light blinking saying, don't go forward. So it's so often if you're, if you're moving and wanting to move in the spirit of God and the word, don't violate the peace. Peace is an indicator many times that God's saying, yes, it's a green light. But when your peace is all disturbed and you're all confused and upset, stop. Okay, let me give you three other ways I believe the Holy Spirit speaks. He speaks by our intuition. Common sense, primarily God speaks to the mind. Intuition is through the heart. Intuition means God drops into your spirit out of the blue something. I think we've all had the time where we felt, I need to, I, I need to call somebody. Why? I don't know. I just have this, this deep impression that it's important for me to call someone. And many times people have followed through on that and have found that the person that they were calling was going through a very hard and stressful time. And God knew that, laid it on one person so that they would call another. I think there's other times where just out of the blue, uh, you're going through your day and God drops a, a thought into your spirit about an insight on something. He said, wow, I couldn't have figured that out with my logical brain. God just plain boop, dropped something 
that maybe you were trying to get an answer to. I know my wife, Kathy, uh, during Christmas time, felt very clearly led to go to a specific store. And when she went there, she knew that the right gift was going to be there for a friend of hers. Just an in, in intuition, not logic. Just God drops something into their spirits. So God speaks through your intuition. I think, by the way, that's a lot of times how God speaks. I think that's how Jesus discerned most of his ministry, by intuitions that the Father spoke into his heart through the Spirit. God also speaks through our sanctified desires. It says in Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean every desire is from God, but it means if you delight in God and he's first and you want to please him with all your heart, then it's very possible that a desire that rises up is in sync with him. I feel and others have felt in our area just a desire for revival, to pray for God's spirit to come on the churches in the area, that they'd be fired up and that the community could be changed. Uh, I don't believe I or others have dreamed up that desire. God dropped it into our spirits. I think also the last way I think God speaks is by burdens. A burden, something heavy comes on you. Uh, as a pastor, I can identify with this, or Pastor Brennan, where you feel that you're led to, to do a particular sermon, but it's not a light sermon. It's a confrontive sermon. It's a sermon that can maybe shake up things, but it's a burden, like, I've got to do this. It's just, you know that God says do it, even though it may be kind of messy. So God wants to, he's speaking through all these ways. Uh, so be open to him, be open to visions, be open to angels, to dreams, through the Holy Spirit, uh, through the word of God, through your conscience, through common sense, circumstances, uh, inner peace, intuitions, desires, and burdens. Those are the primary ways I believe God tries to get through. But he does want to get through to you wherever you are today. That's clear. Number two, the ministry of Jesus. If we look at uh, Acts 10, we'll see that uh, when Peter goes to Cornelius' household, he preaches the gospel, many facets of the gospel. Uh, in verse 36, he, he preaches peace through Jesus Christ. How does a person get right with God? How? God does it through Jesus. Not only does he preach peace with God, but priests of God. When we really are at peace with God, we begin to sense in us a supernatural peace that the Holy Spirit gives us. So uh, Peter begins to preach the gospel. Uh, he said, you're going to have peace through Jesus, peace with God, peace of God. He says another aspect of the gospel he is Lord of all. And I really believe that with all my heart, to be a, a genuine born-again Christian, you can't just have Jesus as Savior. He must be Lord. It's, it's a two thing. It's not one or the other. We can't say, Lord, save me from my sins, but I want to do my own deal. It just doesn't work. You've got to be able to say, Lord, I want you to be number one. And when we mean that sincerely, then I think truly then our sins can be washed away. So he says, you can have peace with God. You can have the peace of God when you let him be Lord of all. Uh, and then Peter goes, in, well, how do you specifically get peace with God? Well, verse 39, uh, Jesus' death on the cross. 
uh, verse 43, Jesus' death on the cross gives forgiveness. Uh, verse 40, he talks about Jesus being raised from the dead because if Jesus is not raised from the dead, how do we know indeed that our sins are washed away? We don't know. The resurrection is God's stamp of approval saying, yep, I buy what my son did. Uh, it also talks about the gospel. Uh, verse 42, Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead. Wow. There's going to be a day of judgment for every person on the earth. And the Bible is very clear. There's two spots. There's a heaven, there's a hell. And to be able to know that you'll be going to heaven, we have to know it comes through Jesus Christ. We also see an amazing, I love this, absolutely love this verse. <clears throat> that's it basically overviews the life of Jesus' ministry. Uh, and it's Acts 10, verse 38. You know, of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power how he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. That verse is worth meditating on, worth praying over, asking God, Lord, please get that from my head and get it into my heart and spirit. That's literally dead center of the ministry of Jesus. He says the ministry of Jesus is that he went about doing good. He went about preaching the gospel. He went about about healing all kinds of sick people. He went about setting people free from Satan and demonic powers. He did all the good things, but here's what's so cool. Jesus did not do that on his own power. In his own humanity, Jesus could not preach boldly, nor could he do miracles. He did it all through the person of the Holy Spirit. The one that actually threw the switch and actually caused the healings was the Holy Spirit. Get it, 38. You know Jesus of Nazareth. He's a man, okay? How God the Father, what? Anointed him with the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit was getting control of Jesus' life, the end result was power and healing and miracles. So the way we would do, I believe, healing and miracles is not in our abilities not in our wisdom, it's being yielded to the Holy Spirit in us. And as we yield to the Holy Spirit in us, he does the miracles through us. We don't have to strain. We're not the ones doing the miracle. We're just a channel for the Holy Spirit to work through us just the way he worked through Jesus. Jesus said, I can't do anything apart from the Father. And I think you could say, I can't do anything apart from the Holy Spirit. So Jesus was totally dependent on the Holy Spirit for his ministry. And that leads right into the next thing, because not only is he dependent on the Holy Spirit for everything, so are we. And that leads right in here to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is so important. Look at verse 44. While Peter, he's speaking to this group that uh, Cornelius gathered. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. And all the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. So this last little chunk, don't lose me here, it is very important. At this point, the Holy Spirit comes on these unbelievers. 
not only are they born again, they are filled simultaneously with the person of the Holy Spirit, and they speak in tongues. Does everybody that's filled with the Spirit have to speak in tongues? I don't think I would say that. On the other hand, I would say we need to be very open to that gift. And if we look in the book of Acts, there's a number of situations where the Spirit came on people, and simultaneously, this this foreign language begins to bubble up from their spirit in worshiping God and praying to God. But the important thing is not so much the phenomena, it's that the person of the Holy Spirit, the third person, grips a person and begins to take control. Let me just back you up a little bit. Uh, I'm going to go through these real quick because we don't have a lot of time. But this background of being baptized in the Spirit starts right in the beginning of Acts. Acts 1.4, uh, Jesus says this, uh, gathering them together, the disciples, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father has promised, which he said, you heard of me. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of somebody and fills them, uh, there's going to be a result. Verse 9. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. So the Holy Spirit breaks loose. And if you look at Acts chapter 2, Pentecost happens. Jesus said, it's going to happen. It happens in Acts 2. And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. There appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. They were all filled, meaning the Holy Spirit got a hold of them and took over them at that moment. We know there's another time in Samaria that we see a very similar thing in Acts chapter 8 and verse 15. Uh, basically, there's witnessing in Samaria, and it says in verse 15, they came down and they prayed for them, that group of people, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. It's the same thing. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, receiving the Spirit, uh, having the Spirit follow them. Uh, all these words pretty much are saying the same thing. Uh, we saw here in Acts 10, 44, uh, how the Holy Spirit came uh, on Cornelius' people. And let me give you one more, Acts 19. Acts 19 and verse 6. Uh, okay, 19 and verse 6. So in these people in Ephesus, it says 19.6, And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues, and they began to prophesy. So as I wrap up, let me say this is very important. As I wrap up, please hear what I'm saying. There are two extremely important things that God wants in every life that is on this planet. God's desire for every human being is twofold. Number one, 
He wants each and every person born again of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 3. God wants every human being to be born again, to have the Holy Spirit come to live in them. And many Christians live and die with that experience, and that's it. They know they're born again. They know they're a Christian. But in some cases, people know they're a Christian, but they don't even know who came to live inside of them when they gave their life to Christ. They didn't realize that literally when they accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, that they're, quote, born a second time, and the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, actually comes to live in them. So God wants everyone born of the Spirit. But here's the biggie, and here's where I think many Christians miss it. He doesn't want us just born again of the Spirit. He wants us to be filled with the Spirit. Or another way of putting that, he wants the Holy Spirit not to be locked away down in the basement and the sorrow of our lives buried deep down within us. He wants the Holy Spirit to fill us, to have absolutely full control of our lives. And that happens when we yield to him. From God's perspective, please hear what I'm saying. From God's perspective, to be filled with the Spirit is not optional. It is literally mandatory. We are told biblically and commanded to allow the Holy Spirit loose. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, it says this, be filled with the Spirit. That is a command. It's not optional. God says, doesn't say, well, if you'd like to have the Holy Spirit free in your life, uh, maybe you might want to do it. God doesn't say it's, it's optional. He says, no, he commands, be filled with the Spirit. But here's what's cool. The actual Greek is this, be being filled moment by moment by the person of the Holy Spirit. Moment by moment by moment by moment, which means we need to basically say, Lord, I give you the day, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, you're a person. I yield my life to you this day. And I want you to call the shots. I want you to lead me today. I want you to guide me today. I want you to show me what you want me to do. And when you prompt me to do something or when you stir me to do something, Lord, I will do it. Friends, I can't think of a more exciting journey for anybody than to let the Holy Spirit loose. Not to lock him away in a closet, but say, Holy Spirit, fill every room of my life. Have full control. What an adventure. He can do amazing things if we let him, but he honors our free will and we can choose to basically grieve him, we can resist him, we can quench him, but when we let him fill us, things change. And when we let him fill us, I guarantee you three things will happen. Number one, you will begin to hear God's voice in a clearer fashion. We talked about how do you hear God's voice? Let the Holy Spirit fill you and his voice will become clearer and clearer. Number two, you'll begin to experience the fruits of the Holy Spirit, which is so cool. They're found in Galatians. Uh, Galatians 5, it says the fruit of the Spirit is supernatural love, supernatural peace, supernatural joy, supernatural self-control. You'll actually begin to see a supernatural personality bloom in your life. And the third thing, uh, as you yield to the Spirit, you will begin to be anointed the way Jesus was anointed. Jesus was anointed for the ministry God has given to you. So it's an amazing journey. 
Uh, so folks, get to hear God's voice. It'll change your life. Look at Jesus' ministry. He lived by the Spirit. May we live by the Spirit. And may we learn to yield day by day, hour by hour, our lives, that he can have our freedom in us and through us. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you. Thank you for your word, Lord, that can uh, paint pictures in our hearts and minds of an unbelievable lifestyle, a supernatural lifestyle. And Lord, as we look at the book of Acts, I mean, there the supernatural is all over. Angels, dreams, your Holy Spirit speaking, changing lives from the inside out. So I just pray, Lord, for each of my brothers and sisters. Help us, Father, Son, help us to know you, but help us also, Holy Spirit, to know you as a living person who lives in us. Help us to let go and let you call the shots. Help us to trust you, Holy Spirit, that when we commit something to you, that we can trust you're going to work in our lives and through our lives. So, Father, we thank that. Thank you. Do that for each one on the screen. Do that for our church family. And we pray that for your church worldwide, that you would have a freedom to walk uninhibited in and through our lives. And we thank you, Lord. And we pray it in your powerful name. Amen. Amen. Have a great day on your Daniel fast. Go forward, folks. God bless you all.